Shalom and welcome to Torah to the People, a podcast from Temple Israel in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm Rabbi Micah Greenstein. We hope you enjoy this selection of our sermons, classes, and conversations with inspiring people from across the Bluff City and around the world. At first glance, the Israel that I visited this past week appeared totally normal. The cafes and the boulevards in Tel Aviv were bustling with hipsters, the hotels were full, and the locals were going to work and to school as if very little had changed. But it was soon very clear that this thin veil of normalcy obscures a much darker reality. Drive down any street, you'll see poster after poster like this. Maxirim otam habaita akshav, bring them home now. At the forefront of every Israeli's mind are the 136 hostages who remain in captivity. Stop to ask any person waiting for a bus or at a coffee shop how the war has affected them, and they'll tell you that their son or their daughter, their friend or their brother is still fighting in Gaza, how they grew up with someone who was kidnapped or killed from the music festival, how their cousin is still a hostage and has not seen the sun in 146 days. Just beneath the surface, it's clear that Israel is filled with people lost in deep pain. The first story that we heard was at the car graveyard in the Gaza envelope, which houses hundreds of vehicles, including ambulances right up front, the one on its side, that's an ambulance that were torched, they were riddled with bullets. Vehicles burned to over a thousand degrees after Hamas threw grenades into them or shot them with RPGs. Cars, hundreds of cars that contained the last moments of partygoers or kibbutz members trying to escape the Hamas terrorists who turned the world upside down on that terrible October day. The story was told to us by Yossi Landau, who was one of the founders of Zaka, a search and rescue organization which also cleans up the remains of victims of terror attacks and natural disasters out of respect for the victims and their families and based on the biblical imperative not to let blood run in the streets. In the 33 years since Yossi founded Zaka, he told us he encountered many terrible things, but nothing that could compare to what he saw on October 7th. Skin and blood so burned into car interiors that it could not be removed. He recalled the mother and the child who embraced each other in their final moments, whose remains were fused together and could not be separated due to the temperatures at which they were burned. Children and their parents resting in pools of blood so deep that they belied a tortuous end that was unimaginable, even to Yossi. As Yossi spoke to us, 
even though his eyes were looking at ours. It was as, it was as if he was still seeing images from that day. For months afterwards, he told us he could not sleep in the same bed as his wife or even be in the same room as his grandchildren. Hanukkah came and went, but he could not celebrate. It was just too much to bear. Yossi and his team saved over a dozen lives that day, but they also gathered the remains of hundreds of people who had no one to save them. Most of those people died at the Nova Music Festival, a rave party in the National Forest of Reim, which we went to next. The horror of what took place there was contrasted by the beauty and the serenity of the forest. It was easy for all of us to see why this was the site chosen for a peace festival. Despite its proximity to the Gaza border just a few kilometers away, the groves of leafy trees and the quiet breeze made it almost impossible to imagine how something so terrible could happen in such a serene setting. Look at all of these beautiful faces, faces of young people, hundreds of them, whose lives were taken far too soon. A few miles up the road, we visited Kibbutz Sa'ad, which that day took in over 150 festival goers who fled Nova. Everyone, every single person who made it to Sa'ad survived. And that is in part because the perimeter of the kibbutz was guarded by Rose Lubin, granddaughter of Nathan and Ala Lubin, who grew up in Atlanta. She made aliashis right there on the right in her uniform that day on October 7th. Rose was off duty and she was at home at Kibbutz Sa'ad. And when it became clear that Hamas had infiltrated the neighboring kibbutzim, Rose volunteered to stand guard at the weakest point on the Sa'ad fence. Their security director told us how brave this girl from America was. Mercifully, Hamas never breached Sa'ad's borders. But even five months later, this week when we were there, the entire day that we were in the Gaza envelope, the, the area of Israel that borders Gaza, all day we heard helicopters and fighter jets flying above us. Time after time after time, we were startled by machine gun fire, and our windows shook from outgoing artillery. At Sa'ad, we met Rose's kibbutz mom, whose name was Ronit, who had just returned from a hotel on the Dead Sea, where she'd been for months with all the other displaced members of their kibbutz. After a particularly loud blast that shook the entire building we were sitting in, she said, this just, uh, this just does something to your soul. Our bodies are not made for this kind of stress. It wears on you. The next day we were back in Jerusalem, away from the war. And we visited a hotel, as I mentioned, housing elderly evacuees from Kiryat Shmona near the Lebanon border. Almost, these are some of the ladies we met with. And almost 200,000 Israelis who fled their homes, they're still, five months later, internally displaced. 
And these, these women told us how hard it is for them not to be able to cook. You see, they're eating hotel food day in and day out, but they're Yemenite and Moroccan Jews who have recipes going back hundreds of years in their families. They live in these teeny, tiny hotel rooms. We were basically in a little partition of the lobby, and that's their living room. They all, all dozens of them share that living room and hang out there all day. Um, they spend their days wondering, when can we go home? And this nice lady, if you could take the next picture, um, who is wearing the hat, her name is Shoshana. And she said that the week before we got there, the week before we visited, Hezbollah struck the building next to her apartment in Kiryat Shmona with an anti-tank missile. So though she wishes, and they all wish they could go home, they know it just isn't safe. But to the last one, they all said the hardest part is being away from their children. You see, they live in Kiryat Shmona. Some of their kids live in Sfat or Haifa or the South, all over the country. And they used to come to Kiryat Shmona each Shabbat to be with her. But now there's no room to host them, to have them. So the hardest part is being away from their families. And they're dreading being in, their ho- being in the hotel over Pesach when they normally have their whole family together for the biggest celebration of the year. But though the government says they'll be home in July, not one of them believes it'll be safe to do so. These should be their golden years. But they said, this is not living. It's hardly, it's just barely existing. Our trip, the the people I was blessed to travel to Israel with, we saw so much heaviness and so much pain, but we were only there for three days. And for me, I think for all of us, it was hard to imagine what it would be like to be an Israeli right now. We got on a plane. We came back home. But this is their life. The heaviest and the hardest thing that we saw was yesterday when we met with the hostage families in Tel Aviv. We met with this young man about my age, Daniel Lifshitz from Kibbutz near Oz where 117 out of their 400 residents were either kidnapped or murdered. 117 out of 400. That day, Daniel, luckily, thankfully, happened to be out of the country at a wedding in the south of France. But both of his grandparents, Oded and Norit Lifshitz, were taken from their homes and dragged on the back of a motorbike into Gaza. Thankfully, blessedly, his grandmother was released in late October, but his 84-year-old grandfather is still there, 146 days on. Dozens of his friends, there was a, a poster of all the kidnapped people, and he said 36 of them are his close friends from his entire life are there in Gaza, but that includes his best friend, his friend Dolev Yehud, um, who has been his best friend since they were babies in the child, uh, child dormitory in uh, their kibbutz. So he, he told us, Daniel told us the story of Dolev's wife, Sigal, who 39 weeks pregnant waited in her safe room with her three children for hours. Here's what happened. 
he, his wife, she was in the safe room, as I told you before, six, seven hours, three kids, 39 weeks. Mm. She was holding the two years old baby to not cry. They had the terrorist inside at 10 and a half. She write me, she wrote me, they are shooting at your tongue's bed and uh, we lost connection. We were sure that uh, the family is dead. They were, they killed her, but uh, 12 and a half, luckily she wrote again and she was fine. He made special lock for her, fortunately, so she could uh, be, stay there. And um, that's part of so many stories like that. But So Dolev, my best friend, and my grandfather are still there. While I came back from France, went to Eilat and been with her, she gave birth after one week mm-hmm. for the baby that uh, he never saw until now. And she's, al- she's almost now six months. And um, I was in the hospital two hours after she gave birth, which is just said a story that can be that uh, we being now with four children, she's a hero. She's a real hero. She's so tough and strong. She's amazing. But and she, until now, she can't have her time even to have the pain. She told me, you know, one week I'm better, one week I'm worse, but I have four kids at home. While Yotam is five years old and he's asking every night in the last 145 days, Mommy, did the war finish? Is Daddy coming back home? For too many centuries, Jews were forced to ponder questions just like that. 2,000 years ago, when Rome destroyed the Second Temple, a 1,000 years later, in the Crusades, the blood libels and the scapegoating in the Middle Ages, the pogroms, the Holocaust in Europe. A few years later, the ethnic cleansing of Jews from all the Arab countries in the 1950s. But with the founding of the State of Israel, all of this was supposed to stop When the Jews had an army of their own, they couldn't, they would no longer be slaughtered just for being Jews. And then October 7th, and that day, and what happened on that day has made every single Israeli, and I I hasten to say every single Jew, feel less safe, feel less sure of the world we live in. But walking out of that meeting with Daniel Lifshitz, just outside of Hostage Square, we saw this poster. Our wounds are centuries old, but so is our resilience and our strength. Our wounds are centuries old, but so is our resilience and our strength. And even though this trip was incredibly dark, there were so many moments of beauty and of love and of hope. Five months into the war, it's nearly springtime in Israel, and many of Israel's famous wildflowers were in bloom. This one will stay on for a moment because 
even at this home on Moshav Nativ Asara, which is directly on the border of Gaza, which had six gunmen that they fly in on paragliders. This home, which you can see on the left side of the house, is riddled with bullets from Hamas. This home, this whole Moshav is in bloom. It is, in the words of Alan Harkavy, our tour guide, it was as if the very land of Israel was showing the possibility of rebirth, of renewal, and life. In the words of a groundbreaking physician that we met, Professor Shai Evrati, a crisis is also an opportunity, an opportunity for growth and for progress. And Dr. Efrati is just one example of the hundreds of Israeli civil society organizations and companies who are meeting this moment with both compassion and with innovation. Over the last few years, Dr. Efrati and his team have developed a novel treatment for PTSD using hyperbaric oxygen that is orders of magnitude more effective than past methods and will be a complete game changer for the many tens of thousands of Israelis who will no doubt suffer from post-traumatic stress after the horrific events, events of October 7th and this war. And we got to see this treatment in action, which is already working to treat both children and adults affected by these atrocities. As we were leaving his hospital, Dr. Efrati said to us, he said, we know that the destruction in Gaza will affect many Gazan children in very traumatic ways. And in a year or two, when it's safe, we would like to treat them too. And that is such a message of hope, such a message of hope. But the most hopeful moment, the, the most hopeful moment of the trip came in a very unexpected place. We were at the Amigor, which means my people live, the Amigor Affordable Senior Living Facility in Tel Aviv, which houses Holocaust survivors, elderly Jews who escaped the, escaped the Iron Curtain, and other people who can't afford a market rent facility. And these are Jews, especially the ones that we met, who know what it means to make it through loss and darkness and to build a new life. And at the end of our visit, their choir, who you can see on the screen, supported by and named after the Groveman and the Bells families, they are the ones who suggested we visit, they came out dressed in tuxedos and gowns to sing for us. And I have to say, we were blown away by their talent, by their energy, and most of all, by their ability to cultivate beauty in a world filled with pain. They told us that it meant so much to them that there were Jews from around the world who came to show them that even though they are suffering, they are not alone. They were so uplifted by our visit that they danced for the very first time since October 7th. And we danced with them. And I, I wish that I had a video, but I was dancing too hard to pull out my phone. But... As we danced and we sang and we smiled and we cried with Jews who had lived through so much, for the first time on this trip, it felt like everything was going to be okay. 
Do we have a video of them singing? Let's watch that for a moment. Just a taste. So the the only other sign that you see all over Israel as much as that first one I showed you, Maxirim, the return the hostages home, Akshav, return them home now. The only other sign you see as much is this one. Rak bayachad nenatzeach. Only together, only bayachad will we win. And when I think back just five months and one week ago, I was standing right here talking to all of you on Yom Kippur, bemoaning the fact that Israel was as divided as it had ever been in its history. It is truly incredible to see how united Israel is today. People left, right, religious, secular, ultra-Orthodox, all working together to make Israel safe, to bring the hostages home. But the best part for me, the best part, and with this I'll close, was that as much as ever, as much as any time that I've been to Israel, maybe even more, Israel just felt like home. I know those of you who've been there know what I mean. And when Alan Harkavy, our tour guide and former Memphian, when he spoke here at Temple in December with Rabbi Ross, someone asked Alan what American Jews can do to support Israel. And Alan said, come, just come. So I hope that all of you sitting here tonight will not just consider giving tzedakah, but will also consider going to Israel. They need us. We need them. Rak bayachad nenatzeach. Only together we can win. Keni may it be God's will.